All right, we are just finishing up um, 1 Samuel chapter 25, and um, I have a couple of, of closing comments on that chapter before we get into uh, chapter 26. And you know, we've been, we studied chapter 25, and that was where David, because he was treated so badly by Nabal, uh, and who refused to honor David with provision because David had protected his livestock, his community, his men. Uh, and, and in that custom, normally you would give food and provision to people that did that for you. Well, he disdained that, repudiated David, called him a, a runaway slave. Uh, and so David, in his humanity, even though we saw how David had restrained himself against killing Saul, now, in his humanity, in his temptation, decides to wipe out Nabal, all of his livestock, and his family to kill every male that's affiliated with, with Nabal. Uh, and they, David is making this turn uh, towards Nabal, and when Abigail, the godly woman who, who is the wife of Nabal, comes forward and meets David, and through the wisdom of God, through incredible wisdom of this woman, this godly woman, uh, she begins to talk to David, to speak to his heart, and she changes history, effectively. Because if David had annihilated Nabal and, and the family, uh, there, there would have been a blotch on his destiny. Who knows what that would have done. But she intervened through the grace of God, through incredible wisdom, and caused David to change his mind, not to kill Nabal. And we know that uh, subsequent to that, Nabal, in a, in a drunken state, when she went back home, when she tells Nabal uh, what he faced, uh, and that he falls over in a chair, apparently has a stroke, and 10 days later he dies. We know that's a judgment of God. And so there's a couple of lessons that need to be borne out to us from this. First, as to Nabal's stupidity. And we need to learn lessons about stupidity because, good Lord willing, at some point in our lives, we will all do something stupid, all right? And it's, but for the grace of God, that we will recognize this, and hopefully you'll recognize it before you do something stupid. But even in doing something stupid, I, I hope you will, you will come to terms with it and ask God to give you grace to walk away from it. First of all, Nabal did not honor God. He was a pompous, arrogant, corrupt man. Smart guys yield to God. Now, there's not a single experience anywhere in the Bible, not one example of an arrogant, proud man who was used by God to advance the gospel. None. So if you're an arrogant, proud man, you should understand right now, you're never going to be used by God. He has no need for your pride or arrogance or ignorance. Um, and it's only when you submit to God and yield to God that God will find a way to use you in your life. And some of us have spent a lifetime as Christians. And by the way, I'm not saying that you're not a Christian. But what I'm saying is you can't have that productive, powerful Christian walk. You can't be used by God. Yes, you're a Christian, but you're carried a lot of flesh around with you. Uh, you're still carrying that carnal nature, and many of us still have that pride and arrogance. Well, pride and arrogance isn't going to get you, isn't gonna get you to, into the kingdom of God to be used by God. Uh, and so you want to avoid this. Also, Nabal did not listen to a godly wife who was deeply spiritual. Listen carefully to what I'm saying. If God has blessed you 
with a godly wife, and many of you have been so blessed. You better make it your business to listen to her. Because oftentimes, it's your wife who will impart incredible wisdom from God that you need to hear. You know, I will say this about my wife. My wife has often said things to me that I didn't want to hear, <laughs> but I needed to hear. Am I making my point? All right, you've been married a long time. You understand that I've been married 44 years. A lot of things that I didn't want to hear, I heard from my wife. And I recognized as I got older that I was, that I was blessed to have a godly wife and, and that God speaks to them and says things to them about us that we need to hear. In fact, uh, the more you're married in more years, your wife doesn't even have to speak. She can look at you. Am I right? <laughs> Are you at that stage? You get a glance. You get a look. You get a, a, a smirk. And you know you can read all that language. It was like when I was growing up in, in, uh, in my house when my parents would be invited out to somebody from the church and, and we would be invited to dinner and my mother would drill into us, don't you, don't you take anything at the table until I look at you and give you approval. Some people would come out, we'd be starving. People would come out with some food and I'd look at my mother and my mother would... <laughs> Give me, he would give me the eyeballs, and you know, you learn to read the, the expressions. I mean, your, your mother's expression could say everything. Well, it's the same way with your wife. And Nabal, obviously, this fool did not listen to a godly woman, and so you see what happens. Uh, Nabal, Nabal also never broke the fear from his sinful nature. He never broke from his sinful nature. Uh, and smart guys may not come from the best background, but they, ju- they trust Jesus to free them from their past. What am I saying? There's a lot of us ha- that have come out of difficult backgrounds. Some of us were raised by parents that didn't do a very good job or made mistakes. And a lot of us carry the scar tissue from that. And what that becomes is that becomes a negative nature in your life. Well, this guy Nabal, obviously, was just a bitter, nasty, angry man. God doesn't want that. And so if you find yourself that you have that kind of nature, you need to break from that. You need to ask God to give you grace and mercy to deliver you from that. God's not interested in the fact that that's what your, what your history is. Your history is not your destiny. You got that? Your history is not your destiny. So let's break from our history and look to, to uh, our destiny. Nabal also let his addictions control him. When she came home, she found him drunk and debilitated. Look, all of us have some issues in our life where we, where we have some aspect that we're not proud of or we're not happy with. Some of us are, uh, have addictions. Uh, it might be alcohol. Uh, and I'm not saying that, uh, that alcohol per se is evil, but what I am saying is that when alcohol uh, controls your life, when alcohol controls your life, then it is evil, all right? Uh, and, and, and really, there's so many things that are like that, whether it's pornography, all right, which falls into the same category, or, or drug abuse. Some of us are taking uh, too many drugs, uh, you know, it may be a pharma, pharmacological, but we're abusing that. that God, that's against God's will, all right? Even gluttony is against God's will. You understand? Uh, God expects us to take care of this temple. Our bodies are a temple, and he expects us to take care of that. And so Nabal obviously let his, his addictions get out of control. 
And then finally, Nabal had a hard heart. Smart guys stay submitted to Jesus Christ. Um, and, and some guys view their wives as inferior. <sighs> Let me tell you something. Your wife is not inferior. Your wife is equal to you. When you read Scripture, you see in a very clear way, uh, especially in Paul writes about this, that your wives are your equal partners. And we know that in marriage, in order to have a successful marriage, and I say this often whenever I marry people, when you have a successful marriage, there are three parts to a successful marriage. Three parts. It's a triangle. You're at the base of one part of the triangle. Your wife is at the base of the other part of the triangle. You're equal. And at the tip of the triangle is Jesus Christ. And when you spend the rest of your married life getting closer to Jesus, this is what happens. You move up the side of the triangle and you get closer and closer to each other. It is that voyage, that trip, <clears throat> that God wants you to take with your life partner, with the person who God has given you. Uh, and you want a successful marriage, that's how you do it. You honor the woman that God gave you, uh, and you treat her as an equal. And if, and if you have a hard heart, then you better ask God uh, to change that. And he will. God will change that. He will, he will change your heart. Uh, and, but you need to be smart and do it. Um, and so now we, we juxtapose that. We juxtapose the ignorance and arrogance of Nabal against the wisdom of Abigail, this incredible woman who, who had the wisdom of God. And, and I want to just ask you to turn first. We looked at it last week. We'll look at it again. James chapter 3. If you turn in your Bibles, James chapter 3, verse 13 talking about the wisdom of God that God gives us. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come from down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, where you find disorder, and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven, this is verse 17 now in James chapter 3, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all, look at it, pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, and good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. What an example that is of the wisdom of God. You ask God to give you wisdom. It's very different from the wisdom of this world because the wisdom of this world often lifts up people in arrogance. I am an extremely intelligent person. You, you don't know anything. I know everything. And instead, you juxtapose that with the wisdom of God. And you look at the wisdom that comes from heaven in verse 17. It is pure. It doesn't have any bias. It doesn't have any agenda. Uh, it's peace-loving. It's peace-loving. Uh, and it's considerate and submissive. I love, I love that language. I love the language of, of considerate and submissive. What, what, a, what elements that is that God puts into our hearts to carry us as Christians. I can't emphasize to you enough about the importance of submission. This, this week I gave my testimony uh, to two different groups 
one on Saturday to the Naples Energy Group, and then uh, yesterday at 11 o'clock to, to my Bible and Life group. And as I gave my testimony, testimony, the overwhelming message that I have from God in my life is that until I submitted to God, until I turned my life over to God, until I finally said, Lord, if you, you tell me what you want me to do, and I'll do it. Until I did that, I did not really have the kind of walk with Christ that I needed. It is only that act of submission. And you see that, that that is part of the wisdom of God, recognizing that you need to submit. And so I want to tell you that, that many of you have said to me that uh, you want to serve God, you want to be called of God, you want to do things of the kingdom. Well, then here's the deal. As I said, you need to say, God, if you want me, you call me. If you bring me an opportunity, I will do it. If I see a thing to step out for you, God, and I know that you put that in my way, I will do it. Not, not being the kind of person, you know, that some, some opportunity comes your way and, some, and you, you then say, you use the Christian weasel language, you know what that is. Let me pray about it, okay? Let me pray about it, which basically means no, but I'll wait a week and then I'll tell you officially no because I, I, will, I can then use the excuse that I prayed about it. Now, God doesn't want you to act like that, all right? And you see this, full of mercy and good fruit. How about that? The wisdom of God that God gives us is full of mercy and good fruit, impartial. How about that? That God's wisdom is impartial so that when he gives you that wisdom and you, somebody calls you into a situation, you are impartial. You don't go in with a favorite position. You don't go in with an agenda. You listen and you're sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace and raise a harvest of righteousness. That's what we want to be. That's what God wants us to be, peacemakers. And all that comes with the wisdom of God. And so you see that here uh, in Abigail. Uh, now, there's another passage I want you to turn to about the wisdom of God, which is Proverbs chapter 2. Take a look at this. This is a, gr- a great section here. Proverbs chapter 2, which talks about the wisdom of God, which we see on display here in, in Ab- Abigail. And we'll read these verses first. Verse 1, My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, and if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord. All those verses first were contingent upon you asking. You asking God, all right? And if you do, then God will speak to you and you will find the knowledge of God. Verse six, for the Lord gives wisdom and from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He holds victory in store for the upright. He is a shield to those whose walk is blameless for he guards the course of the just and protects the way of his faithful ones. Then you will understand what is right and just and fair, every good path for wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will protect you, and understanding will guard you. Wisdom will save you from the ways of wicked men, from men whose words are perverse, who leave the straight paths to walk in dark ways, who delight in doing wrong and rejoice in the perverseness of evil, whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. It will save you also from the adulteress, from the wayward wife with her seductive words, who has left the partner of her youth and ignored the covenant she made before God. For her house leads down to death and her paths to the spirits of the dead. 
none who go to her return or attain the paths of life. Thus you will walk in the ways of good men and keep to the paths of the righteous, for the upright will live in the land and the blameless will remain in it, but the wicked will be cut off from the land and the unfaithful will be torn from it. Wow, wow. How about that as a prescription for how to lead your life? How about that for understanding the wisdom that God wants to put into your life? the godly wisdom that will protect you in so many ways. And so you see here, you, you see what happens when we, when we uh, ask God to come into our lives and give us wisdom. And it's offered here right through Scripture. And so the promise is made to those who diligently pursue the attainment of godly wisdom, as if we need to seek it the same way we would seek silver and wealth, to seek God's wisdom. And you see that here, to, to appreciate the the, the knowledge of God, that God will give you this. He will give you this if you ask for it. And he stores up wisdom for the upright so that it might be a shield for those who walk in integrity. That's why God wants to give you this. He wants to protect your walk because without the wisdom of God, we're gonna be confronted by, by a lot of evil and we're not gonna have the, the discretion to understand what's going on. He wants you to have the wisdom of God to protect you so that he may guard your paths uh, and protect you the way he wants to protect his saints. Um, and, and it says here in verse seven that the Lord stores up sound wisdom for the upright. So if, you're, if you are righteous within God, if you're following God, God will store up the wisdom in you and will reserve it for you as a way of protecting it. Um, this sound wisdom serves as a shield that, that guards us as Christ's disciple from unknowingly and unwittingly practicing sin. And you see the examples here it talks about, you know, whether it's an ungodly wife or, or some adulterous relationship that you can fall into and what would happen, the fallout from that. You know, you don't realize, you think you can make this, this one misstep and, and get involved in some adulterous relationship, not recognizing the nuclear fallout. The nuclear fallout. It's not just one uh, happenstance one day. It, it wrecks a marriage. It'll wreck relationships with your children. And it'll go on for decades. Decades. Really? Was it worth it? Was it worth it? Did you understand what the implications of this were? Because honestly, so many of us do not. Well, that's the wisdom of God that you need to have in your life. It'll give you a shield and guide you in the path of righteous living. And you see this here with David. He was going to wreck his destiny because his anger had gotten to him. And then God sent this godly woman uh, to give him the wisdom and understand it. Uh, and so uh, what we see here is that when we have the wisdom of God, we will pursue the righteous path. Uh, and, and, it, and verse nine here, guarantees that if we diligently pursue godly wisdom, if we cultivate devotion to Christ as our Savior, we will understand righteousness and we will understand the good path that he wants us to be. This will be the case because wisdom will enter into your heart. It'll be a part of your heart. It is very, it's actually the wisdom of God will go to the core of your being. You will see things the way God sees things. You'll have an understanding the way God, God looks at things. What a tremendous promise this is. Really, if you think about the world and how the world doesn't have this godly wisdom that God promises us. Uh, and, and, and so when you do this, you'll begin to think like Christ. 
Your decisions in life will, will bear that out. You, you, will, you will do things that you may not have done before because the discretion of, of the Lord Jesus Christ, the wisdom of, of, of God will be over you. Um, and, and what you see here, uh, and you understand that, is you see that God will protect you. He will watch over you. He will be with you. And if you want to see a very good uh, example of the wisdom of God, the wisdom of God as distinguished from the wisdom of man, turn to Matthew chapter 5. And I, in preparing this, I saw this last night and I thought I would comment on this. This, this demonstrates the application of the wisdom of God. Matthew chapter 5, verse 27. This is Jesus now. This is on the Sermon of the Mount. This is Jesus now, verse 27. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. That was the law, right? Jesus is explaining that's the law and that's what you were taught, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And that's the wisdom of God. You see the difference? It's not merely the physical act of adultery. It's, it's the mental act act of adultery. Uh, Jesus is actually foreseeing the issue of pornography. You understand? Jesus, through the wisdom of God, is foreseeing uh, the evil of pornography. Meaning what? Meaning it's not merely actually engaging in the physical act of adultery. It's the mental act of adultery. Uh, it's in, in pornography uh, and, and allowing sin to come into your mind. It's just as bad. It's just as evil. It's just as sinful. And that, my friends, is the wisdom of God. That's not the wisdom of man, because here's what man would say, oh, come on. You, you people, why are you so legalistic? Really, what harm is it? You didn't go and sleep with her. You know, you didn't go and sleep with her. So you look at magazines. So you look at these kind of things. You're not doing any, you're not committing a sin. Oh, yes, you are. All right? It's a cancer that comes into your mind and it destroys your relationship with your wife. Do you think you can look at your wife the same way when all you've been doing is engaging in, in, in pornographic materials? Of course you cannot. All right? That's, and, and God knows that. He created you, so he knows the issues in your life. He knows the blueprint. So you see this uh, in a powerful way, understanding this. Look also at Isaiah 55, if you would. Isaiah 55. Eight. This is God now speaking. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So, folks, there it is. Okay, uh, don't think, don't think that you can think like God uh, unless you've asked for the wisdom of God. Uh, because man's ways are far apart from God's ways. We know this in every aspect of our Christian walk. God acts in a way that we, we never can understand and sometimes. And, and so God is telling us, God is telling us, commit ourselves, commit ourselves to him. Ask for the wisdom, the wisdom of, of, of God, and God will honor you. And you see that in the life of Abigail. And now we will begin chapter 26. 1 Samuel 26, uh, and another episode in the life of, of our friend David, who will now face another temptation. Uh, and as we study this, 
We're gonna see another example of God intervening in David's life as David will be again tempted. Now over these past chapters, we've seen the character of David repeatedly tested. Uh, David learned the lesson uh, through 24, 25, and 26. David learned the lesson that, he would put, that if he would put his faith in the Lord and rely on him, God would vindicate him. God would protect him. He did not need King Saul to provide for him. He did not need Saul's favor in his life to lift him up. This is an important lesson for us. And let me repeat this. There's no man in your life that you need, no person of any position that you need to advance you in God's will. That if God intends for you to have something, God will give it to you. I want you to understand that. God will give it to you. You don't need human beings to do that. God will touch the hearts of human beings if it's within his will. We don't look to people as our primary source. We look to God. And when you look to God as your primary source, then God opens the doors and closes the doors in our life. You've got to learn to live that way. You've got to learn every day. I ask God, Lord, close the doors, open the doors, guide my steps, tell me where you want me to be, tell me how you want me to live. And that's the submission part of this whole walk. Uh, and only God is your primary source. And so uh, Jesus provided the ultimate lesson for us in this regard. Turn to 1 Peter, if you would. 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23. When they hurled their insults at him, that's Jesus, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. That's exactly how Jesus lived. Jesus submitted himself to God the Father in every way. Could Jesus have uh, retaliated on the cross? Come on, folks, you know the story. Jesus said he could have call, called down 10 uh, divisions of angels. There would have been 10,000 angels that would have come down and, and wiped out all those uh, temple soldiers uh, and temple guards uh, at Gethsemane. We know just from reading scripture in the Old Testament, that one angel, one night, wiped out 180,000, I think it was uh, Hittites, all right, in the Bible. 180,000 people killed one night by one angel. Are you kidding me? You don't think that God, that Jesus could, could, have, could have called down that kind of force, but instead he knew what his mission was. He knew what God the Father wanted from him. And so he submitted himself he submitted himself to God, even to the cross, even to his suffering, persecution, the most terrible kind of death, and Jesus submitted himself. And so you see this, this lesson for us, uh, understanding how God wants us to live. And so God will give us many opportunities to say yes to his leadership time and time again in the face of persecution and temptation. Listen to what I just said. You've, you've dedicated yourself to serving Jesus Christ. You've committed to serving Jesus Christ and to walk as a Christian. Now, every day of your life, there's going to be some kind of suffering or persecution or temptation that's going to come into your life. That's the way it is. You will not be immune because you're a Christian. In fact, in some ways, more things will come into your life because Satan would like nothing better than to knock off a guy who calls himself a Christian. I knock off one of those guys. I can drag down 15 or 20 other people that looked up to him, right? Really, I'm not worried about the bum lying in a curb in the street. 
Uh, that guy that goes to Bible study two or three times a week, that guy that goes to church all day on Sunday, that's a guy I'd like to get. That's exactly how Satan thinks. So, so understand this, that you're going to face trials and temptations. You're going to have evil come across your, your radar screen. And God is going to give you an opportunity to show that you are a leader for Jesus Christ. Uh, and you're going to do this because you're going to put your faith in Jesus Christ and respond to God. Look also, if you would, at Romans chapter 5, as we understand this passage. Romans chapter 5. Read, we'll start with verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Understand what that verse says. We have peace with God. What does that mean, we have peace with God? You were formerly at war with God. Until you accepted Jesus Christ, you were in open, notorious war with God. You were adverse to God. You were in revolt to God. It is only when you accepted Jesus Christ and were justified by the blood of Jesus Christ that you made peace with God. God brings you into the family of God and sees you through the prism of Jesus Christ and sees you as a righteous person. All of that comes to you because you've accepted Jesus Christ. Verse 2, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. And you can underline this verse. Rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. You are effectively in the gymnasium of God. And your act of exercise is going through persecution and suffering and temptation because God is developing your faith muscle. It's hard to understand this. God, why, why am I going through this? Why am I going through these difficult times? Why am I suffering? Why am I going through the persecution? Well, God, I'm a Christian. Shouldn't I just have that red carpet rolled right out? I want to walk it right up to heaven. God, come on, I'm one of yours. And then I come back and I say to you, yeah, how'd it go for the first 11 guys? How'd it go? Where was the red carpet for those guys? All right, 10 of the first 11 were martyred. And it would have been all 11 because they threw John into a vat of boiling oil and God just allowed him to swim his way through it and save him because he had the book of Revelation to write. You understand this? Suffering and persecution is part of the life of Christ. Suffering and persecution is part of our life. You see it in David. We're studying David, and I know what you're saying. John, every chapter is worse than the one before. How long is this going to go on? Year after year after year. 15 years from the day that he was anointed by Samuel. 15 years it would take before he would be king. Now what would you say if that were you? Oh, what is going on, God? I'm dedicating myself to you and still this guy is coming after me? Lord, I have to run. I can't live like a free man. And when I read this, this verse, uh, and it says, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. God is making something special of you. 
God is using your life to testify to thousands of lost people. Listen to what I just said. He's using your life to testify to thousands of people. My dad said it often, and you've heard me say it. He would say, every one of us has an obligation to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and sometimes to even use words. What? That's right. Sometimes to even use words, meaning most times it's in the evidence of your life, what you're going through, knowing that people know that you're suffering and being persecuted and being temptation. Not only so, but we rejoice in our sufferings. We rejoice in our sufferings. Oh God, give us the grace to get to that point that even when things are bad, really bad, and we get some bad things in our life, the Lord, we say, Father, we're in your hands. We're in your hands. We rejoice in our sufferings. Why? Because we know that that suffering that we're going to go through will produce perseverance. What does that mean, perseverance? It means that because 10 or 15 years ago, in your immature walk, if something came across your radar screen and you were tempted, you'd fall off the side of the road. You know that. You'd fall off the side of the road. You'd abandon God for a while, but no longer. No longer because the suffering has produced perseverance, meaning the stick to the ability to stay and walk with God. As I said to somebody this morning, being a Christian is not a destination. It is a journey. You understand that? Being a Christian is not a destination. It is a journey. It is in the everyday walk. It's not, you know, it's not, it's not like a big race where you're racing and the crowd is clapping and you're getting the laurel wreaths poured down on you. But it's this walk that may be monotonous, but it's faithful, persevering day after day, being the kind of father that you need to be, being the kind of husband that you need to be, being the kind of friend that you need to be uh, in every way. Uh, and you see this in, in, in producing perseverance, character, and character hope. Character hope, meaning, meaning what? Meaning that because God has proven himself to you in these dark times, you now have hope. You understand what the plan of God is. Even if you don't see it clearly, you understand that he's in your hope, and hope does not disappoint. You'll not be disappointed because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. This is all of what God has given you. I mean, when you really uh, dig down and understand what it means to become a Christian, what God has given you, oh my Lord, we've just barely scratched the surface. I told you that when you accept Jesus Christ, he seals you with the Holy Spirit. When you're sealed with the Holy Spirit, he's, he's, he's guaranteed and covenanted to keep you in his hand. You will never, no one, no force in this world, no principality, no demon, no satanic effort will take you out of the hand of God. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. All right, you understand that? Nothing. Nothing. And that's the promise. And yes, you're going to fall. Yes, you're going to trip. Yes, you're going to suffer. Yes, you're going to be tempted. But nothing will take you out of God's hands. And you have that hope and expectation. Because he's given you the Holy Spirit. And he's speaking to you through, through his heart through, and your heart. He has planted a part of the divine being in you. And we talked about that. That you have the fruit of the Spirit and that what that means is that in order to do that, in order to grow with God, you have to take those seeds that he has planted and nurture them. 
through communion and prayer, and God will be with you, and he'll allow that to take place. And so you see this. And so the, this is an important lesson at this point, this juncture in our study of David, as, he, as he's about to get tempted again. Uh, everyone is going to experience pressure. Everyone is going to go through physical and emotional pain. Every one of you, every one of you is going to at some time go through financial issues and relationship issues. And, and when you go through this, even as a Christian, many of you are going to begin to question yourself and the purpose of your life and what God is doing to you. And it's how you follow God during those difficult times that is going to determine what your place is in the kingdom of God and how he can use you. And so when we realign our character, when we realign our character to stay with God during these difficult times, God is strengthening our character and developing effectively our faith muscle. That's what's going on here. And God decided that David needed 15 years of this school. Oh, Lord, please, don't put me through 15 years. Don't put me through 15 years. But he decided that David needed it because David had a high calling. David was going to be within the lineage of Jesus Christ. David would be the greatest king of Israel other than Jesus Christ. And so God had a great plan for him. And so when, when we persevere, when we persevere in choosing to submit to God uh, and obey God during these difficult times, our character begins to change. It is the very act of going through these difficulties that changes the character, provided we submit to God. Uh, and the test of that faith produces perseverance, which causes our character to mature. Uh, and uh, turn with me, if you would, to James chapter 1, just to focus in on that issue. James chapter 1, verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of, any, of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be more, may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and, if, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave on the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. So you understand exactly what God says. His patience is not just the ability to wait. Listen to this. It's not just the ability to wait. It is, involves how we act while we wait. How do we act while we're waiting for God to speak to us? How do we act? Uh, and, that's, and that's that lesson that you see that. And so you see this. And so David had three divine appointments. Three divine appointments between chapters 24 and 26 to determine if he would be just like Saul. That's God testing him. <clears throat> I anointed another king. I saw what he did. I want to see what you're going to do. I'm going to put you into three divine appointments to determine if you would be just like Saul. And David was put into a position where he had the chance to kill Saul, twice, and Nabal, once. Uh, and David managed his anger with Saul in, in the area of En Gedi, the desert of En Gedi. Uh, and just soon afterwards, even though he managed his anger then, he was confronted by Nabal in chapter 25. 
and he lost his mind and was about to assassinate and murder Nabal, and yet God intervened with that godly woman. And so now, now, again, in chapter 26, David is going to come face to face with the third divine appointment, another time coming to face with Saul again uh, out, in, out in Ziph as Saul is pursuing him. Um, and the f- character of Saul is on full display again in this chapter. Even though he had promised in the prior chapters not to pursue David, my son. I love you, David. I will not pursue you anymore. I will allow you to live. You see the, you see the pervarious tongue of, 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 a, of a liar, of a person who was in the world who has lost, really, his relationship with God, how he continues to lie and prevaricate. Uh, and you see this over and over again. Uh, and even when he cried, his tears were phony tears. They were not legitimate tears. And even when he asked for forgiveness, it wasn't real forgiveness, how he intended in hatred to still kill David. Uh, it was only temporary. It was only temporary. Uh, and so clearly we see this. And so uh, David is now going to come face to face with Saul again in chapter 26. Uh, and he will, he will actually walk into the camp of, David, of Saul. God will put a deep sleep on Saul and all the soldiers. And David will walk into that camp and there will be a confrontation. Uh, and when we resume uh, in two weeks, we will continue the story at that time. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you so much, Lord, for the, for the lessons that you've given us today, Father. The importance of, of asking for your wisdom in our lives, Lord. The importance of bringing you into our lives and having your wisdom and discernment in our lives to guide our paths, to deliver us from evil, to keep us from making wrong judgments, Father. We ask you that, that each and every one of us come to terms with that and open our hearts out and ask you, Lord, to come in and give us that wisdom. And also, Lord, the lessons of the stupidity of Nabal, how we see what happens when man goes his own way and, in fact, deviates from your will and believes that we can be the best judge of our own lives. And we see the distraction and ultimately destruction that Nabal wrought with his life. Lord, we thank you for this lesson. We thank you for the words that you've given us. Be with us, Lord, to help us consider this message. Let it resonate in our heart over the next two weeks. Be with our men. Protect them wherever they go. Be with them, Lord, and bring them back safely to continue the study of your word. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Happy Easter. God bless you.